When Ebra's back and there's going to be trouble, hey na, hey na, it's That's So MLS <laughs> with myself, Nick Thornton, and with me as always is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, we briefly I saw, saw each week. other. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good week. I got to see you. Uh, I, w- I got to go to the game and I saw you there at halftime. Yeah, that's probably actually maybe the longest conversation we've had since you've been when you've been in town. Aside from blasting into <laughs> my house to do a podcast, that was. Uh... <laughs> this is even this is even a quicker turnaround the sun than usual. But uh, I was very happy to get to my first White Caps game of the season. Hooray! Uh, logging those away minutes, you finally got to see a game. <laughs> um, I mean, we don't. You have got to... to see most of the game. I got to see at least 60 minutes of that game. And why was that? <laughs> because I just had the most Vancouver day ever. Uh, from our listeners who aren't from Vancouver, uh, we don't have Uber or Lyft or any sort of ride-sharing thing in Vancouver. So you're at the whim of public transit, which most of the time is very workable. Um, but it was just one of those days where the first bus was early, which means I missed it. And then the second bus was late, which means I gave up, called a cab. The cab did not respond after half an hour, and I gave up on that and then just caught the bus. So I got there just after Adnan had scored his goal in that game. (laughs) However, Um, if that's the new good luck charm that means that Vancouver Whitecaps win a game, then so be it. I have a a feeling about this. I didn't watch the game and then we won, so it must be a a reverse good luck charm. I think you should put all your energy in and, and, and... and just hope that good things will happen. Um, that's my feeling. Uh, before we get into the games, I said that I have a, a breaking news update. And yeah. the reason why I think of it as so breaking is because that's what it says on MLSsoccer.com website. Oh. They have a specific little breaking banner now for stories that it's true. Are, seen that. Uh, are breaking enough. What's breaking? Uh, uh, Ignacio Pinati's knee, kind of. Uh, oh, he no. He got us. He stretched the outer ligament on his right knee and will be out 8 to 12 weeks. It is, as the headline notes, a new knee injury. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Very sorry for very sorry for Piatti because um, he already had an injury and he came back and he came back strong. Yeah, and what a time for it to happen as well. That is not mm-hmm. what they need. No. Uh-oh. Uh, they had a... a uh, they had a, a crazy game, uh, the Impact did, uh, in L.A. against LAFC. They sure did. I actually had to like copy and paste all the goals into my notes here because I knew I was going to miss something <laughs> from it. I was not going to try to remember. Um, okay, well, so let's start there. We've got LAFC, the runaway winner in the, the league, a team that seems sort of destined to just... Uh, do great things this season and maybe take it all because they really, outside of unbelievably the Whitecaps, no team has really been able to figure them out or, in the case of this week, not figure them out in enough time to actually win the game. Mm-hmm. Where do you place this in terms of where LAFC is at at this point in the season? Which might sound like a stupid question, but I honestly mean like... Is it just a foregone conclusion for you that LAFC is going to take everything this year, or did the fact that Montreal uh, scored two goals have change in any way how you feel about their fortunes? 
I don't think that LASC has either, like, last year, um, Atlanta had a really, like, crushing pressure at home. Mm-hmm. Like, you just felt that the gravity was, like, 1.25 times yeah. when you were playing in that stadium. And Toronto had this, un- the year before that, un- Toronto had this sort of unbeatable, bulletproof feeling sheen to them. I don't know that LASC feels the same way. Because they're just they play so uh, so lucidly that you don't like you almost don't notice that they're dominating. Like this first goal, mm-hmm. uh, this this jerk of a first goal, <laughs> Christian Ramirez uh, strafing Evan Bush while he takes a kick from live play, uh, like feels almost like a like a gimmick, right? Like it, like it isn't really from the run of play, and you could easily kind of see it in a scenario where. A, a team gets mad or whatever, um, but LA kept pushing on and, or, and, and tries to sort of like you know it almost motivates them to have a goal like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, LA laid it on thick, uh, and I think that part of it is just because they're so. Mm, it's like they play a very similar game, and it's really up to the defense of whoever they're playing to decide. How good are we at passes? Yeah. Can we, like, can we like stop them? Or mm-hmm. are we going to watch? And this is, this is a scenario where for the first, you know, 60-odd minutes, they watched. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, there's two things. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly not the first person to say this. Um, but there's two ways that LAFC beat teams. And mm-hmm. usually they're doing them simultaneously. <laughs> which is why they're so good, is they have this incredibly high press. That's well talked about and well known. That almost This is a perfect example of where I don't even think Ramirez is really intending to score the goal that way because it's off of Bush's clearance that just sort of smacks into him. But because he's trying to clear it, it just bounces off Ramirez and in. I think Ramirez is just trying to close down the space, steal the ball, and then have a shot. Like I don't think his intention is the clearance to come off of him and go in the net. <laughs> it's a perfect example of that early, that high press early on and how dangerous it can be that teams just MLS teams are not well equipped or prepared to deal with to have to defend so closely and push their defenders that high up to counter LAFC's high press that early on and the second thing is the combination with that and quick passing to break lines so even if yeah. LAFC isn't able to do their usual high press They've got such incredibly good forward players that don't just have speed, but they have the agility because Vela can dribble around just about any defender in MLS, and so can three or four other attacking LAFC players. So even if you are able to push their attacking players a little further back to give yourself some space, they're playing so tightly into those defenders and they're so good at it that they can quickly turn and all of a sudden Vela is you know, three or four paces ahead of a defender that previously was pushing him further up the field into his own end. You're absolutely right. And on that second goal, I swore to God, there was no like physical way that he could be that far ahead of the line and not offside. Yeah. Like I like, yeah. like I, I, I lined up the video. I went like frame by frame. Uh, I was like, there's yeah. How does he, it's, it's, it comes to that, the the agility in in just opposite directions mm-hmm. because like you said they're pushing him up the field so 
Vela is, without having significantly, you know, broken the plane of the offside line, uh, he's already kind of ready to leap by the time that the ball uh, comes off of the assisting player's foot. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, I mean, I, I felt like Montreal did obviously, I mean, you can't say they did a good job of defending if they gave away four, <laughs> straight, four goals un, un, unannounced or um, unchallenged, rather. But, you know, it's not like they weren't marking the right offensive players. It's just that they're they're so quick and tight in those spaces that, you know, once Vela decides to go, if your defender's facing the wrong way and caught flat-footed, there's just no way you're going to catch up to him. And how many times have we seen it, too, where Vela's allowed to stroll off on his own down the line and just dribble through two or three defenders because he can also do that. So, I mean, it... it it's also due in no small part to the fact that Vela has three or four different ways that he can score a goal. So yes. it's not just a case of marking him. It's marking him in the right way and, you know, having players back who can cover. But the thing that makes LAFC so devastating is that if you commit three defenders to Vela, which you might need to do, LAFC has three or four other players who support the attack that can also score a goal. I think that's really the story of the fourth goal from Tristan Blackman. Where it's like, yeah. they he just has so much room in the middle because everyone is on the sides blocking the key players. It's always amusing to me when there's a game like where where uh, one side has scored multiple on their own and then uh, scores an own goal because it's like you couldn't you, you got tired scoring on us you scored on yourself yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh let's give them one here we go hey we can score at any end it doesn't matter. On the same uh, on the same night, that was a Friday game. Um, was uh, a game not taking place in LA, uh, but it featured the LA Galaxy getting the one nothing win uh, over in Orlando. That really seemed a little bit more game. I thought this, uh, you know, everything kind of didn't didn't fall for them because uh, Jonathan Dos Santos almost sets them up because he. He first scores this amazing goal. He picks off a back pass that is, I love a dummy off of a back pass. Mm. Uh, and and LA Galaxy got one of these, so he scores that goal. And then he uh, has like a scything um, tackle in the box and, and concedes a penalty kick right away. But Nani can't land it. Um, Bingham has a lot of great saves. He got bailed out by his defenders. The goal line clearance. They had, other than that sort of, like, really inspired singular piece of, of play that was almost canceled out, um, L.A. didn't have a lot, and Orlando had so much but couldn't land it. Yeah, which ultimately doesn't tell me too much. I mean, ultimately, every time I'm watching highlights and trying to catch up with the week, my big question is, what's changed from the previous week? Or what we know about these teams, they're either cementing something in my brain and what I think the team's chances are moving forward or they're doing something differently that's changing my mind. And for Orlando, I felt like they are definitely playing with a lot more character and a bit more of a system that works well for them. And it almost kind of worked here to get a point out of it. And what I learned about LA is that while they're capable of winning games without Ibra, the system is pretty sloppy and haphazard there. And my judgment still kind of remains that Galaxy will probably find themselves in a playoff position, and I don't think any opponent is going to have too, too difficult time of 
knocking them off if they're able to deal with Ebro, which we'll talk about when we get to Galaxy's second match. Um, thinking of, like, you know, results from the weekend that, that tell you about something, um, RSL managed to take down Atlanta 2-1. Yeah. Oh, this is... I mean, RSL just is one of those teams that continues to be a total wild card. Like, from week to week, you have absolutely no idea how they're going to play or how they're going to fare. And this was a perfect example where two very different results <laughs> occurred from two very different looking teams. Um, my note here is really just like, is RSL chaotic or versatile? Like, is the fact that they're unpredictable because they're completely chaotic? Or is it because Petke purposely plays a system where they can be versatile and play a lot of different styles? I wouldn't put them in the... the... The, the category of, of chaos team uh, like New York Red Bulls or, or Chicago this week, which to me like relies on a lot of like pinged, you know, like like ricocheted, deflected chances, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I I think of it more as uh, as RSL sort of attacks with flair in and also with confidence. They yeah. have the they have the the players to do it. And in when they are neutralized, it it feels like they uh, they don't have that same energy that, that enabled them to be mm. uh, they, they, that enables them to be so confident and dominant when they do have great performances. So like something like Bofo Salcedo hitting this huge for the second week in a row, hitting a huge strike from the top of the box. Yeah. All of a sudden, they look like they're uh, they they look you know. Full of vim and vigor, um, well, and, and they they kept pushing until the ninety fourth minute. This one for Atlanta for me is, I mean, you could see it on Devor's reaction with the late winning goal from Savarino that RSL just continues to be an underestimated team. That um, this chance is created really out of nothing, and again from Savarino just having the freedom and ability to go, I'm just going to take this one and see what happens. And <laughs> it's just this stunning rocket from outside the box to, to win it far too late for Atlanta to do anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we're going to move into to Saturday, let's talk, let's talk about our, well, you, you talked a little bit about your bus experience. <laughs> um, I had a great experience at the, uh, the Whitecaps Dallas game. Um, I was able to get to Library Square a little bit early and have some drinks with the Southsiders, which was great. Um, I did the march, which was cool. The, I'm a little, I continue to be a little uh, bewildered by why the, the Pride Games were announced uh, so early in the year for so many teams. This was made, it looks like for Vancouver, the decision was made in January. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you had both this game, you had two other teams with the Pride armbands. I don't know too many cities that have their pride events in May. Um, in in some of the the aspects like these uh, the um, uh, the 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 pride practice jerseys that mm. appear to be like on back order or something because they were not available for purchase at the game itself. Uh, some aspects of the presentation seemed um, a little rushed. Yeah, but I did think. Like, I feel like we're going to see as much in actual August when Vancouver's actual pride is mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in a more spontaneous way. Uh, the one thing that I – but there was some, like, genuinely nice stuff. There was some – there was the great 
Um, a great, uh, I'll, I'll go with you, uh, uh, trans ally campaign from the cells, from the cell sisters. Um, there was, uh, I, for, you know, corporate gestures, those TIFO cards that created a big rainbow around the stadium gave them actually a pretty good impression. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I try not to be overly cynical about these things, but I agree this seemed kind of rushed. I'm, I'm still glad that it happens. For me, the thing that I've noticed is most MLS clubs still, when they do a Pride Night, is all of the language around it just says the word pride over and over and over again of come show your pride, show your colors to support pride, but it doesn't say pride for what? And yes. I think yes. Orlando's one of the few teams that I've seen that makes a very direct connection and isn't afraid to use language that includes terms like LBGTQ+, uh, gay and lesbian, transgender. It, it appeared somewhat in Vancouver's messaging, but it was still a little hidden that it, it, it's hard not to come across as just like, it's pride, pride to pride, pride, pride. Show your pride, pride, and just be proud. It's like, well, it's not actually for everyone. Like, and <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that not everyone can participate, but it, you know, pride has very specific roots, and it's hard not to be like, well, are, okay, but are we just going to end up at the point where? And I heard some of it in the stadium too, where it's like people are rocking the color cards and the things, and they have absolutely no idea what it's for. <laughs> I think that you're right to point out this is a. It was nice that they had like drag performers and stuff. I, I definitely could see exactly like that it's kind of like the the symbols of pride and not necessarily as much the meaning and it and especially when it comes from a top down directive like it doesn't really feel like it is one person's idea or like like you know that there's a personality behind it which I think is super key yeah um but but that is also leaked down because like you know they also rolled out their soccer for all jerseys and a lot of people know it's like just say. LGBT on just say it yeah. right like they're trying to roll out black and white soccer for all jerseys like that's a pride campaign um, it's intersectional there's other stuff going on with soccer for all I understand that mm -hmm. but it's like but sometimes they can step like you exactly like you say step around it like you know the things that I the, the touches that I enjoyed the most of, of, of how this event was set up were, were all personal because it's like you know one of the one of my big sort of moments last year from a pride perspective was being able to go to a non-pride game and just have a, uh, a pride flag that was in the supporter section and just getting to be a large bi person waving around a flag in a public place was really fun. Yeah. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even an event. Yeah. So, so, so like I got to like seeing other people enjoy that and, and being able to relate to people uh, was the best part. The, being able to relate to other people through that was the best part. Absolutely. Uh, the game also, all, the game itself was also good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the parts of it were good. <laughs> um, yeah, most of the parts you didn't see were great. Uh, <laughs> which, which, uh, the, uh, which included um, essentially uh, early in the game, Adnan has this this great individual effort where he barges through two people. And hits this looping ball into the top right corner with his right foot. Mm -hmm. He, uh, a lot of people correctly, you know, lauded his um, his skill and his and his strength on the ball to be able to push through uh, push through and get that. 
Um, and it was a phenomenal first goal. And then Venuto followed it up with a second where he rolled the ball just out of the reach of the, of the Dallas goalkeeper. And that was like, that was the first half, uh, ending the first half riding high. Yeah. And I, like, I tweeted some thoughts after this game because I, the experience of sitting through that second half, and also I think I was a little bit, like, really trying to not affect the fact that I missed 25 minutes of the game for no real, real reason other than just poor, poor, <laughs> poor civic infrastructure. Um, so I would, but, you know, after I got home and after I watched the highlights again, after I heard Mark Dos Santos's comments, I went... Taken with the other games, and especially taken with the crucial road point that they gained against New York Red Bulls, I see it a little bit differently in that there's clearly still a lot of holes within the Whitecaps and a lot of problems that, you know, they they go up two goals, they have this electric first half, and then it just seems to all fall apart. And I had so many moments in the second half where I was really struggling to pay attention to the game because there were large chunks of time where it seemed like they had forgotten there was a soccer game happening and there was just this aimless sort of kicking of the ball around and these long lobs that they were just giving away possession really easily. Felipe and a few others were just getting really easily pushed off the ball and outside of a couple of breaks really all of a sudden just seemed to put themselves in a dangerous position. However, remembering the fact that they'd played like three games previous to this in I think yes. just over 14 days also highlights well think about it this way the second half was watching a team with very very tired legs just barely hang on and that's probably okay and actually a pretty positive thing to be able to see that if you're going to be that tired and know that you don't have a lot of gas in the tank you might as well have an electric 45 minutes and try to win it in those ones be, knowing that it's going to be really hard to score late goals. So I think tactically, I think that it's probably a really good result and, and probably it was actually in the game plan to say, look guys, you've got 45 minutes to win this because the second half is going to be brutal. Cause after 60 minutes, there ain't going to be a hell of a lot of running from anyone. Absolutely. And I, that's a great point. The, uh, and I think that, it's a counterpoint to if you watch this game or you watch the uh, the Red Bull game uh, earlier in the week and think, oh, absolutely, this is dreadful-looking play. Mm-hmm. It's like they got the result in both games. They got yeah. they got uh, four out of those six points, which is nothing to sniff at. And if you're going to play badly, don't lose those games. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I thought the, the result against New York Red Bulls was, you know, there was, again, inconsistencies. Not one that lasted a whole half, but, yeah, you know, s- draw. some really, um, you know, some really unfortunate play from Andy Rose um, and, and just some kind of lax play. However, they were able to hang on. You know, they got a, a goal through... Um, some great play from RDAs who gets it to Scott Sutter. And again, they're able to grind out a really key point in that game, a very fortunate and strange uh, VAR call that actually went our way for once that gave us uh, a late PK that Montero buried. But again, uh, New York Red Bulls have been on the up and up and have really overwhelmed teams and beaten them with their chaos ability. So it was nice to see Vancouver go away to a really good team, stick to a system 
And even when it didn't really work out, they were still able to get a crucial point out of it. And similarly with Dallas, when things started to turn against them, they were still able to hold on. And that is a different thing th- from what we've seen from Whitecaps teams of yore. Um, before we move off Vancouver, do you want to talk about the, the Karen McCormick thing now? Yeah, I think it's 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 apt to, to mention. Um, there was no walkout at, at the Dallas game, and there kind of really hadn't been much news out of Vancouver about this ongoing uh, issue and the allegations against a former women's coach. And then, uh, was it yesterday or the day before... Um, we finally heard more, which is that the the front office had uh, met with the uh, Kieran McCormick and a couple of other players and released a statement saying that um, they were going to work with an, a third independent party to, to look at the things that occurred, and they were also going to release the public results, release the results publicly of what that investigation finds. Having a meeting... That with the players that the players were were happy with was so key. I saw I saw the McCormick blog post first, yeah, and then I saw the press release that has quotes from McCormick in it, which I think um, we are all going to be watching what happens with that investigation. But in this deadlock that had happened early in the season, what people were looking for were for the point caps are face the music and do it publicly, yeah, um, and and that's something that you see. I think in that's that's one reason why I was excited to see um, both the post and them including names and references to individual and names and references to who these people were that were involved in this and like quotes from them is so much different than what we had seen previously. Um, the other games that happened that day. Um, do you want to talk about uh... where do we want to go? There's so many games. Where do we want to go? It's true. There's there they they play so many of these ding dang things now. <laughs> um, these ding dang games. Do we want to talk games. about uh, uh, this Cincinnati New York Red Bulls game? Oh yeah, sure. Let's let's talk about Cincy. Um, Red Bull I... Red Bulls score two uh, two away for the win. Yeah, my one note on this game is Deplane getting stripped by Kaku is very on brand for Cincinnati right now. <laughs> um, this just like again Cincinnati has little signs here and there. I thought Addy had his uh, best game of the season without scoring and showed just how effective and dangerous he can be. However, it would have been a lot more dangerous and effective had he actually scored. And <laughs> Cincinnati's defending, there's just you know, there's so much experience in that back line, and they have such a capable goalkeeper that it, it really is disheartening that they're still just giving away goals. That um, I thought that they faced a robust and um, ferocious New York Red Bulls side that has proven that they really can cause problems for teams, but I felt that this game had points where it looked like Cincinnati really could have gotten something out of it, and yet they walked away yet again with nothing. Partially because and, and the this is something that people talk about with the, the interim coach after he had such a great first game. There are deeper problems that still need to be solved. Yeah. Um, I think that the 
I think that you're absolutely right. Before that header that New York hits in stoppage time mm -hmm. to like as uh, insurance, I wrote that there was a thin like the New York was only leaning on a a, a thin edge. Mm -hmm. um, Kaku was was substituted on and got that was able to totally rob um, the defender for his goal. Um, it New York. Got a little well. No, New York took their chances. That's all you could say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it wasn't lucky or not lucky. They, they, they. Cincinnati had some chances. New York was able to get um, get what they needed. I think that uh, the 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 funny note for me as a Whitecaps fan uh, is uh, I believe this is Kendall Waston's uh, fifth yellow card of the season, so he will be taking a break. Yeah. Um, Big man, the, the obligatory yellow card for existing, slash sometimes not always having the best decision making. Into, which is always something, I think, when Whitecaps think about this, they think about the the year where he got three red cards and eight yellows. Yeah. And was suspended, like, over and over again. And then he, was, he got 11 yellow cards the year before. Uh, which he almost, which he kind of got on top of before he left Vancouver. So yeah, I was a little surprised. Um, one team that I, I kind of wanted to spend a little bit of time on this week was Colorado. Um, oh yes. So Colorado had two games that I feel like, uh, unless you have grievances, we can sort of deal with at the same time. Um, so Colorado had we... uh, a game against Columbus where they were able to win three two. The battle of the C O L trigram. Winner gets to winner gets to be call for the rest of the year. <laughs> Good. Yes, um, and then also stripping Philadelphia of a point late into the game um, to get a crucial point against Philadelphia, who is having a not so great time at the moment. But that's wild to me. We'll we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about. Uh, we'll talk about why. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get to Philly, but first, I think that, I mean, I don't want to say that Colorado's fortunes have changed, or that this is necessarily a sustainable way forward, but I think Connor Casey is taking exactly the right approach with the team right now, which is, use what you have and make it work for you. And yes. Colorado doesn't have a lot, but what they do have is they have... Uh, attacking pace and their own ability to create chaos. So, yes. if chaos and speed are going to score you goals, then just have at it and try to outscore a team. And again, it's maybe not going to get you to the playoffs, and it's certainly not going to keep you in the playoffs. But if it's going to move you forward and at least get you points while you try to figure out what the hell to do with your team long term then make it work for you. And that's the thing that we hadn't seen from Colorado this season. So they battle away with Columbus and are able to hold on for a 3-2 win. Uh, one that just, I really feel like Columbus kind of handed to them. And Columbus is just showing that it looked like for a while Caleb Porter's real focus was to turn his team into a defensive unit and then work on other things. But that attention to detail seems to have not worked at all. And Columbus is just looking very easily beaten these days. And then in Colorado's second game of the week, being able to bag this late goal against Philadelphia, that just, surprise, surprise, 
on the far post, Jonathan Lewis is left <laughs> completely, completely unmarked and is able to bag a late goal. So for me, this tells me something new about Colorado, which is um, it doesn't have to be pretty, it doesn't even have to be clever, but if you've got that ability to attack, um, Colorado had numerous chances in both games where they could have even scored more goals, and I think it's a positive sign for them to just go like, look, let's, let's try to get what we can out of these anyway, anyhow. And they're finally capitalizing on the pieces they have. Since Colorado had the attacking pieces, uh, I've often found the games where they do well are the games where they do poorly to be about concentration. Yes. Um, the, because in the, in the, the goals I can see here, and I also noted that this is uh, Colorado. I've had a number of these two, two, three, three draws or like, you know, multi, over four goal games mm-hmm. that are either tight draws or like tight games or not tight uh, games where they end up uh, <laughs> on the wrong side, <laughs> on the wrong side of it. They're finally on the right side of one of these things. Uh, but those two goals are both completely, they switch their brain off goals mm-hmm. where uh, where the first one, Pedro Santos has a great shot from the outside. It's really super high quality, but it really does feel like they're watching. And then on that second one, when the ball is, they've got three, de- it looks like they've got three defenders. And when the ball is starting to be kicked to Zardes, the two outside defenders just stop Yeah, and watch. Like, I don't know if they could have got there in time, but it's like, you really do feel like they could have at least like, maybe they could have headed it out for a corner if they had pressed harder or, or, or what, but they just like, they see the ball coming over the side and they're like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen with this bad boy. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I saw that looked a little bit different is, and this was similar to last week, is Abubakar has brought a little bit more organization to that back line. But, you know, some of their players are just so easily beaten still, and and the the quality is just not there. I mean, I I still strongly feel that outside of Abubakar, they need to scrap everyone and and just start from (laughs) scratch, because there's just... They're so easily beaten. The, the the overall pedigree of the players is just they they haven't spent enough money there, and I, I think that that's really as good as it's going to get. Um, I don't know how you coach in the type of quality that's needed to improve them, uh, and I and I don't like saying that against players, but for me, Colorado has really taken like a USL approach to defending, and it's just continued to not be good enough. There, to me, it doesn't matter who you have as a coach trying to do it with this back line is not going to cut the mustard no um i liked tommy smith's opening header uh you see one of the one thing i don't see uh too too often uh nine minutes of first half stoppage time (laughs) uh at at the end of which montreal or at the end of which colorado get their second goal um and the third goal is a piece of real quality from uh nico mosquito on 89 minutes, the type that Vancouver fans, uh, no one have believed all along that he's capable of. Um, and it was great to see, and so it was great to see that because when you, you're right that the team is unbalanced, but it's hard not to look at a team for, it's hard from our perspective, not to look at a team that has Kamara and Mizkita and think, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to see something good. Mm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, like we had sort of said, 
why aren't those pieces working for them? And again, Connor Casey's taking the direct approach and saying, like, look, at least we have that. Let's make it work in our favor. Um, what do you think enabled them to get the win in Philadelphia? Do you think that they are against Philadelphia? Do you think that they, um, they, that Philadelphia sort of relaxed late on or, uh, or do you, what, what do you think was the cause of that? Uh, I mean, I feel like Philly really gifted them a point here to, you know, to for a game that they should have just seen out to get three points, to give up. This one feels like definitely they gave up two points um, for the late goal here is just really poor marking. I think from Philadelphia, it's, again, that lack of concentration that Philadelphia can be incredibly effective, and we see it early on in the match that this... Um, the Santos goal from Philly is just absolutely fantastic and, and shows, um, again, how good they can be in, in tight spaces and how creative they can be. But then just, I can't, late into the game, seem to lose focus, lose concentration, and it's a poor clearance. And, again, Jonathan Lewis is just stand, like running in with all the space in the world and just sort of side-foots it in, almost not believing himself that, He's left that wide open. So for Philadelphia, for me, um, the thing that is different and I guess a little disheartening is that they haven't really shown the fight in the last couple of weeks that we've seen that's so characteristic of them. And it's not for lack of ability to score goals. It's their defending had been pretty solid for the better part of the beginning of the season. And, and that seems to have just... It hasn't gone completely out of the window, but it's the concentration piece, especially late into games, that, um, and especially with Western opponents, that they seem to, to struggle with. And you have to imagine that given some of their Eastern opponents as well, um, they might stay up high in the table, but it's going to be really hard for them to grind out results if they're not cleaning up those defensive errors and staying focused for a full night. They got lit up by uh, uh, Portland pretty good. Yeah, and that, that for me is one of the few teams that I felt like, again, there's something different to say about, is Portland just came in and very characteristically Portland had a very slow start to the season, finally back in their home uh, stadium, and ju- as you say, just completely lit them up, and their strategy seems to be bringing a deal. <laughs> uh, a little late, Brian Fernandez has come at exactly the right time and is all about scoring them goals. And they're very smart in their scouting. They're bringing in players that they know can have an immediate impact and playing them in in exactly Portland's system and to devastating effect. This one for me was a little bit more uh, Portland doing all the things right and less Philadelphia playing poorly. And maybe it's just some tired Philly legs as, as yeah. well. But this for me was a real signal from in, signal of intentions from Portland that um, their time has finally come, and I expect that they're going to be climbing up the table pretty quickly. Absolutely. Uh, you, Fernandez looks great, uh, headed first goal. Uh, these passes that they had on a three-on-two break, just just mm-hmm. they had so much time to be able to set that movement up from, from coming three-on-one, even when the second defender arrived. Um, and Philadelphia get theirs back with, uh, a funny, sh- a fun shot you see every once in a while, where 
the the ball bounces off the insole of uh, the Portland goalkeeper Clark. It trickles over the line, yeah. and he tries to scoop away the evidence, but it's a second too late. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely Portland still has their, their little windows of weakness, but I, I feel like um, Savarese is very in the mold of MDS, that he's a very patient coach. Um, I don't know that Mark Dos Santos would necessarily call himself patient, but, you know, he's not going to throw out his book just because he's not getting immediate results. He's going to stick to what he knows, and, you know, Savarese has been very good about playing Portland in a certain mold and model that hasn't always worked but he's been patient with the process and making sure the players understand what they need to do and knowing that when it starts to work, um, everything is going to start to tick and every player's playing to their strengths. So uh, running the risk of sounding like I'm beginning to admire Portland, I think that they are going to have a very successful run here, uh, mid-season run in the season, and I would expect that. you know They're going to continue in this form for some time. Um, one of my favorite games of the week, just because of the storyline was New England 1-1 DC United because I felt like I was cheering for the bad guy. Very little very <laughs> little happened in the first half and then turn the goalkeeper the New England goalkeeper Turner absolutely lays out Wayne Rooney in a play you can't do that. You can't it's, do it's that. It's so challenging to imagine what was supposed to be happening there. Um uh well, and let's take a moment for all the times that we say that things aren't a red card, but maybe it's a red card. Let's acknowledge when it is completely, without a doubt, you're like, that. that is, what is the reddest card that you can make and give to the player? Because that's... Matt Turner yeah. leaps three feet into the air and crossbodies. <laughs> um, uh, it looks much worse in slow motion, but it's it's not a you good play. Space. But Matt yeah. Turner gets sent off, and they bring in Brad Knighton who saves the resulting penalty, and then in two minutes, New England score. So <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's, the swings and momentum are so real, and we love to see, uh, I love Brad Knighton, and he doesn't always uh, get the most credit, so, so to have him jump in and have that uh, was awesome to me. Um, even though, like, it was blatant, like a blatantly dangerous play, and I'm like, yeah, New England. And then this this <laughs> this play in ninety minutes, they almost see it out. Uh, they almost see it out through to the end. And they're uh, a play that is an obvious handball, like bounces right off of oh, it, not yeah, called yeah, it yeah. a handball. And then like they're like debating, are we going to call VAR or not VAR? I'm thinking in my mind, don't call it VAR. Which is the wrong? Which is wrong? They cheated. It was bad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I felt like it wasn't a great PK call. I don't know what the player is supposed to do in that instance. I mean, he's in such a tight space, and the ball just... It's definitely a hand-to-ball scenario, but given the rule changes that are coming, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, letter of the law, you, you've got to give that one. But uh, I certainly know what you mean. Um, for DC, though, I it's sort of baffling to see DC have this kind of week and yet still somehow be top of the table. <laughs> And and doing it with some ease, but the Chicago game was uh, definitely a game of six goals. Where you go, well, neither team defended at all, and this is what happened: that it was just really, really poor defending from both teams. And I think DC was very lucky to to even get a point, um, but they'll be very disappointed that they 
gifted that point to Chicago. Um, good to see Acosta in form, but eh, bit of a woof week for me for DC. Yeah. Um, the point uh, the point goes to New England. Uh, one other player this week, I thought that I had that very, like, you know, uh, I don't know how this happened, but here we are. Um, scenario is is Minnesota in the one the one mm. nothing game against Houston is underpinned by this uh, this shot that uh, is the shot by Romain Medinere where he hits it it's immediately deflected and it shoots straight up in the straight up in the air comes straight down hits the far post hits the hits the far post inside. It bounces in, and everybody around him is jumping and, and, and you know, grabbing his shoulders, and he's just giving this nod like, I'll take it. <laughs> some days some days you just need a win no matter how. Um, I, I was surprised that Houston wasn't able to get themselves back into this game after that goal. Um, and the thing that we've said time and time again about Houston is on their night, they look one of the best teams in MLS, but the consistency just isn't always there. And this was a game for me where I really expected them to be able to come back and get something out of it. Um, and however, Minnesota is starting to get a little bit more organized and have things work in their favor. However... Um, things didn't quite go in their favor because they have a real bad time when they go to visit. <laughs> and Atlanta did them dirty. And just, interestingly, I mean, it was one nothing until the 92nd minute. And then two just horrendous mistakes uh, with Minnesota trying to grind out uh, a point just leaves Atlanta completely unchecked. And I think... I think I actually know what the answer is of why Minnesota doesn't do so well against Atlanta. And I think that it's they have some sort of weird thing that happens where they actually just don't see Martinez. <laughs> because for the life of me, it seems like there's nobody marking him. Whenever they play, they're like, yeah, 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 leave Joseph Martinez out. Look at everybody else. You don't need to worry about him. Um, that... Martinez has three of the easiest goals he's going to score all season. Done a little, you know, he's definitely done a favor on the second goal from Julian Gressel just deciding to completely empty the tank. Whatever last little bit of gas was in there, he springs out of midfield to give uh, Martinez this ball. But it just, wow, was that an easy win for Atlanta. Yeah, uh, it's it's like you say with the, you know, it's, Important to look at it at that as that one one nothing for most of it. They could turn it on when they have the chance, especially if one of their players has a team specific invisibility cloak, like you suggest. <laughs> um, That's what it is, is it not? <laughs> I don't mean I don't have another answer for it. Um, I uh, I was surprised and impressed by uh, San Jose's two one win against Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. As I see. Uh, with a guest in attendance? Yeah. Um, it, which, this one was a little bit odd to me. I, I have, wasn't able to follow up and look at why, but Giovinco decided to attend and watch his old team. 
which turned out to be not such a good luck charm. Or on the week as well when Alejandro Pozuelo is suspended. My understanding, I don't know why he was in town, but I know he was also spotted at the Raptors game. So I wonder if an interest in the NBA, uh, I, I wonder if an interest in the NBA has something to do with that. Could be, could be. Um, however, San Jose for me, uh, I this has got to be the game of their season so far. That just some... I don't know if you can even really call it defending, because I feel like that's a bit of a gift to Toronto. But just... Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> was that some not great defending. Uh, but hats off to San Jose for this... Um, just fantastic road win for them. Um, I, I'm still kind of in shock that it happened, but wow. For some reason, the the, the, the best-looking Toronto attacker was Richie Laria, Laria um, who mm-hmm. has this first, he has this great individual run, and nobody's on the end of it, so he gets in the middle, and he gets found uh, by Marky Delgado um, for the first goal. Now, this... This thing that you're, you're talking about with the defense that's so central to, to Wando's success is if you put, if you give Wando lots of time in the middle and let somebody whip across into him, it's a bad scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible that, I mean, he's played, what, a total of uh, 180 minutes this season and has six goals. If I'm doing my math correctly. <laughs> yeah. It's just... This is the time. It's, if you dark, don't mark Wandelowski, you're going to have a bad time. And all, is, all of a sudden, San Jose finds themselves just below the playoff line when two weeks ago we were saying, there's no way San Jose gets anything out of this season. There's just no way. It's done. It's over. Here they are in eighth place with 20 goals. Both teams have changed so much this season that to say Toronto was beaten at home by San Jose Earthquakes has such a different context now that they're both two teams that are on the mend as opposed to like two bottom feeding teams that you you might have, you know, suspected that they could be around Christmas. Yeah. Um, I was also interested in talking about Chicago, New York City, in which Chicago exhibited that. that sort of chaos style that I often attribute to New York Red Bulls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the They did VAR that first uh, CJ Sapong goal, but it, it was definitely, I mean, I don't want to say definitely, it looked pretty onside in in the replays. Um, and then Mitri is able to get one back for New York City FC kind of out of nothing. Kind of a team affair for me, but... Uh, Chicago is plugging some of the holes and scraping out points, which I think is important. I think maybe they gave this one up a little bit, but for a team that really still struggles and is missing so many key players in key positions, I think that this is as good as you can hope for for Chicago at this time. Uh, Did you get a chance to see um, anything from Seattle, Kansas City? I did get to see this one. Um... My main comment here is no nameth, no problem. Because <laughs> Johnny Russell, uh, there's a, let's talk about another one where a team just decided to not mark a player or really do anything about it. 
Johnny Russell hits Seattle for three goals. Seattle's able to kind of claw themselves a little bit in just through pure quality of Rui Diaz, who gives them a little bit of hope before Russell bags his third. Um, Leardom gets one back. But I just... It's a little surprising to me that at this point in Seattle's season, they're letting a player like Johnny Russell have so much time and space on the ball and letting him play his game and take nothing away from how good Johnny Russell is. But part of the reason why he has so much success in MLS is because people seem to not really consider him a true attacking player and just allow him time to dribble past or make these marauding runs. And it's like, how much evidence do you need that he has absolutely no problem beating two, three, four defenders and creating a goal out of nothing or just dribbling to the top of the box, like cutting it back and smashing it as hard as he possibly can. So uh, this one for me was great to see some fight from Sporting Kansas City and not so great from the Seattle side. However, to my earlier note about Ibra's back, they didn't fare so well in their second no. game when they play, went to LA Galaxy and the Ibra show rolled on and Sporting Kansas had no answers that time. Um. Johnny Russell was. Not, I think I feel like he's at his best when he can assert himself. And despite taking eight corners in that game, he uh, he didn't seem like yeah. he had a lot to say. Um, I see. Uh, I see you have this note about the their goals, their goals, goal scoring style. Yeah, that you know when I talk about LAFC's two ways of scoring goals and winning games, it's very different than the two ways that LA Galaxy wins games. And this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but either you have Ibra headed in or across (laughs) to create a goal-scoring opportunity or to score a goal, or you just give it to him, who defenders still don't seem to like to mark, because talk about giving a a, like space and time to a player. On Ibra's goal, they're like, the defender shoulder checks and sees him, and still decides to just mark a position, like, do zonal marking, but there's no other Galaxy player there. So, like, he's holding this geometric defending pattern, which, in theory, is a good thing to do if there's another attacking player that you need to be marking, but there isn't. So, um, so the second way Galaxy scores a goal is literally just give it to Ibra, and he will just smash it with literally any part of this game. <laughs> Um, just ridiculous. The, the, I think that, um, I think the Ibrahimovic marking force field is the referee force field where people don't know how they're going to get called, which is, you know, the thing that I find so funny about the Matt Turner red card against Wayne Rooney is, is like, well, if I'm going in on Wayne Rooney, I may as well go all in. It's no. Yeah, truly. Just, uh, can I get, hey, can I borrow your chainsaw for a moment? I got to make a slide. Um, uh, Montreal to RSL one. Reversing their result. You said there wasn't a lot in that one. Yeah, not not too much. Again, uh, surprising that RSL had uh, so much luck midweek or and then wasn't able to get something out of this one. Um, but Montreal fighting back. So for the for Montreal, for me, is still ultimately a team that I struggle to have something useful to say about them week to week because every week it's different. And... When it's good, it's real good, and when it's bad, it's just not there. So an up-and-down week for them and an up-and-down week for RSL. 
two teams that show they're super dangerous at times, but also have uh, some real defensive things that they need to sort out. Um, that combined with the news that um, Piatti uh, Piatti is out now with injury, and also that uh, Piet is away for Gold Cup duty. I well, that's right. Um, that's going to hurt Montreal because Piet's one of those players that I feel like you don't really know what he does until he's not there, and then there's just this gaping hole. So um, it'll be interesting to see if Montreal can come up with answers for this one, but ultimately kind of a game where I, I shrug and go like, eh, I mean, I guess somebody had to win it, so why not Montreal? The only other major thing that I can think of from uh, in, the, in the league this week is that all-star voting is available, uh, which I love. The discourse immediately turns to fans of every team saying, vote for the team of the player, uh, the players of the team that you play after the all-star game. Yeah, <laughs> truly. Yeah, I think we might see some LAFC players in uh, the starting lineup on the all-star game. Uh, <laughs> there's no uh, referendum question on the all-star ballot as to whether or not to not have an all-star game, is there? Uh, unfortunately not. I did request it, but somehow <laughs> didn't make it on the ballot. Well, until they add that uh, question to the ballot, where can we find you online? You can find me online at That's So MLS on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me in person, waiting at bus stops, calling cabs, and then ultimately just waiting back at a bus stop again. Where can we find you online? You can find me at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at Howler Magazine, what a howler.com. You can find this podcast at thatsomls.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Wonderful. And until next time. If you gotta come off your line, you gotta challenge that ball as a goalkeeper. Well, you know, don't get sent off. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>